Hello, my name is Nick Spasic, and you're listening to From and Inspired by a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we speak with musician Scott Bomar about his work with director Craig Brewer. Director Craig Brewer's films Hustle and Flow and Black Snake Moan are just as much about the soundtrack as they are about the film. Thus, Brewer's collaboration with Memphis musician Scott Bomar only makes sense. Perfect sense, really, given that Bomar's band The Bow Keys have backed the likes of any number of nearly forgotten soul musicians in a live setting. Bomar's film work is absolutely fascinating, and it was wonderful to get to spend some time talking with him about his work with Brewer, the history of the Bow Keys, and more. We even got a little bit into his work with his studio, Electrophonic Recording. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for being interested in talking to me. No, it's uh, really interesting. I interviewed John Gary Williams last year when Stax reissued his solo album on LP for the first time, and he had nothing but really nice things to say about like what you've done for musicians down there. And uh, well, that's yeah, it's been it was pretty that's cool. Good to know. I love John Gary, and that album, his solo album, is, I think, one of the great hidden gems of the Stax catalog. I'm glad they uh, reissued that one, because that one is, it's a gem. It's such a, it's such a, like, an unfortunate story of, like, how, how it kind of got lost, and then you hear it, and you're just like, oh, this would have been a hit. <laughs> yeah, the whole damn world going crazy, that, that. I keep thinking someone should cover that song today. I think it would be a hit. I, I could not agree with you more. Um, like, how did how did the Bokeys get started? Well, we started in the late two the late I don't know late nineties, early two thousands. I can't quite remember somewhere right there on the cusp of the you know two thousand. And um, my first band in Paula had been split up for a couple of years and i'd gotten more and more into the booker t and the mgs willie mitchell stacks high uh instrumental sound and that was kind of the direction that impala was starting to go into a little bit before we split up and uh the bokeys were initially kind of a continuation of what um i was kind of thinking for Impala, which was an instrumental soul band, and uh, I, one of my, you know, favorite 
albums of all time, favorite videos is this um, Booker T and the MGs, Marquis, uh concert. The album is called Back to Back. And, uh, you know, Booker T and the MGs, when they didn't have horns, they'd be Booker T and the MGs. And when they added horns, they'd be the Marquis. <laughs> and then they would, you know, they'd do their instrumental songs and then they would back up. Sam and Dave, Otis Redding, Eddie Floyd, William Bell, Carla. Um, and I, so my concept for the Bo Keys was to do this Memphis instrumental music and then also be able to back up soul singers. And um, the first lineup is much different than what ended up coming after that lineup-wise. Um, the only other original member that is currently in the the bow keys as it is today is mark franklin the trumpet player and myself we're the only two original members and we've had a lot of other folks come and go over the years um some have gone on to just be involved in other projects and unfortunately some of the members have passed away charles skip pitts and ben Colley um are no longer with us and that's uh man what a what a loss uh to you know, but it's, uh, I learned so much from Skip Pitts and Ben Cauley, and it was such a honor and pleasure to get to work with those guys. Um, we really miss them. But, um, but yeah, the lineup of the Bo Keys now, it's been the same for actually maybe the longest it's ever been. We've had the same group of guys for a really long time, and, uh, we have two different drummers now. Um, Howard Grimes is, you know, definitely been our drummer now for quite some time. And, uh, he does, you know, a lot of the session work at my studio and he does still perform with us sometimes. But we also, uh, been using a drummer named Dave Mason, uh, on the road a lot. And Dave's great. And he's been touring with us for about two years now. And, uh, We've been doing a lot of work with uh, Don Bryant. We've been touring the world with Don the past two years, and uh, Dave's been out there with us on drums. So uh, that's uh, kind of the short version of the of the story, the Bow Keys, and the you know really, if it weren't for the Stax Museum of American Soul Music and the Stax Music Academy, the Bow Keys probably would not exist because I have the band going, but. Um, this like maybe 2003 um it was before the stacks museum was built and it was before the stacks music academy was built but they were starting to do programming in the soulsville neighborhood and one of the first things they did was they had a summer music camp at a elementary school and college near uh that neighborhood the college is called Mullen owen and they had a uh, they had a summer uh, summer music camp for junior high and high school age kids. And at that time, I'd been working a lot with Calvin Newborn, great jazz guitarist from Memphis, and his brother is Finest Newborn, famous jazz pianist. And uh, so I've been working with Calvin a lot. And I can't remember if they asked me to teach bass. And I brought Calvin in, or they asked Calvin to teach guitar, and he brought me in to play, to teach, you know, bass. I can't quite remember how that worked out, but I know I was working with Calvin a lot, and uh, Calvin and I were over there, and uh, I remember seeing this guy come in 
the first day of the camp, and he was like really loud <laughs> and had a real gravelly voice, and he was carrying a Wawa in his hand, and he started telling this kid, all right, this is how you plug the Wawa in, and he like plugged the Wawa in, and he's like, this is how this is how you play Shaft, and he started like playing Shaft, and it sounded exactly like the record. I'm like, I started thinking, I'm like, who is this guy? I've never seen this guitar player before. I started thinking about it. I'm like, man, I've, I've seen this. I've seen this guitar player's name on all these Stax records named Charles Pitts. I'm like, I wonder, this maybe this is Skip Pitts, it's like legendary guitar player that I've always heard about. Because you hear these like Albert King records that say, you know, backing by the Barkays, and it'll have like this be like Albert King record, but it's like a little funkier than the stuff that the MGs played on, and it has this wah wah on it and and I knew the same guy probably, you know, it was like the guy that played on the Isaac Hayes records. And I was like, this has got to be Charles Pitts. Got to be Skip Pitts. And sure enough, it was him. And uh, that same week, I was like, I was in this uh, auditorium. And I see this drummer, like, setting the drums up and, like, showing these kids how to set a drum set up. And he got behind the drum set and he started playing. And I'm like... I'm like, well, that's Willie Hall on drums. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and so, not too long after I met both of those guys, they were in the Bow Keys. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, when I heard them, they, you know, they both were living outside of Memphis. And when the Stax Museum was getting going, it was like a magnet for all of the former people who had worked there. And all these people started moving back to Memphis, and it just really energized the community here. And so much stuff is such a powerful energy with it. And uh, that was really, uh, you know, that that was the Bow Keys were going, but when those guys moved back to Memphis and they started playing with us, that was like really when stuff started happening. So uh, I don't know. That's kind of the that's the beginnings of it and we we made our first record with willie mitchell over royal and uh that definitely you know started like a whole new chapter in my life because i spent like a couple of years you know working over there and hanging out with willie and i learned so much from willie mitchell i would not be doing what i'm doing today if i'd not you know work with willie so it seems like the the bokeys starting up kind of like dovetails very nicely into Craig Brewer starting to make movies there in Memphis. Were you guys like running in the same circles? Is that how you came to work on his films? We, we definitely were running in the same circles in Memphis, the music community, the art community and the film community are all very tied into each other and they all interlap, you know, and maybe other cities are like that. I'm not sure. But in Memphis, you know, a lot of the, I remember, I don't know, it doesn't happen so much like this anymore, but like in the 90s, like late 80s, early 90s, when I was like first getting out, like really getting exposed to a lot of music, you know, every weekend there were like art openings with live bands and I would go and like see the band, but then I would meet artists and see art. And it's very similar with, with like the independent film scene here you know people will have a film premiere and they'll have a band play and people use local bands to do their score and use local memphis music for their 
soundtrack. So uh, they're all very connected, and uh, Craig and I definitely knew a lot of the same people. And uh, I had been hearing a lot of really great things about his digital feature called The Poor and Hungry. And there was a filmmaker in Memphis, uh, his name is John Michael McCarthy, and uh, he made a lot of independent B-movies, kind of exploitation-inspired films uh, on his credit cards. (laughs) And that really inspired Craig to make The Poor and Hungry using credit cards and, uh, you know, self-financed independent film. And, uh, you know, that had... uh, the Indie Memphis Film Festival had just gotten started. I don't think it had been around maybe about two years or so. And uh, that's a great festival. It's really grown. And uh, Craig's Born Hungry won. And uh, there's just this huge buzz about it. And I finally you know, got to see it, and I was completely blown away by it. And not too long after that, I was at a party one night, and uh, I met Craig for the first time. We were introduced, and... Uh, I told him, you know, how much I enjoyed The Poor and Hungry, and he started to tell me how much he enjoyed my band Impala and how much he enjoyed, like, the bands I was in. And Impala had done the score to one of Mike McCarthy's films called Teenage Tupelo. Right, right, right. Craig was a fan of that and the music we did. And he said, uh, he goes, man, uh, I'm working on a, script right now it's a, it's called hustle and flow and it's about a guy who's a pimp but he's trying to be a rapper and it's going to have a lot of memphis rap in it and i would love for you to read the script and see if you'd be interested in working on it and i was like man i you know i'd really be into that and it sounds great i'd love to read it and so about a week or two later craig came over he brought the script and we hung out for a little while we talked about music and I, I read the script and i couldn't put it down i think i read it in like an hour or two i just like whipped through it and i called him i'm like man this is amazing like this is such a good script this will make such a great film and at that time um you know i knew that he'd been getting a little attention from hollywood with the porn hungry but i sort of assumed that it would just be another you know independently financed film and ultimately he you know, it'd probably be a little bit more successful than The Poor and Hungry was, but I didn't, I just figured it'd be like a indie, an indie film, and I didn't have, I knew it was a great project, but I didn't, I never, I never thought it would do what it ultimately did, and I never thought it, I knew it'd be successful, but never on the level that it ended <laughs> up being successful on. Oscar winning. But it took, <laughs> yeah, it took like five years from the point that Craig gave me to the script until it actually, the film got made. It may have been maybe five years in between the two. And I remember he and his family, you know, they put together a lookbook and they had a compilation CD that was in the pocket of it. And Craig and I collaborated on that. And I gave them some like local hip hop for that. Maybe even some tracks from Vokies that were used on that. And so when he would go into studios to pitch them, uh, he would play them the CD, but it took, uh, it took like five years for that film to get made. Ultimately, uh, John Singleton ended up, uh, paying for it himself. And, uh, when I, even though Craig 
you know, I'd been working with them on it for like five years when John got involved in it. He was telling Craig, like, yeah, I'm going to bring in, you know, some, you know, guy, somebody from Hollywood to do the music. And Craig was like, wait a second, wait a second. You know, there's Brian Memphis that I've been talking to for like a couple of years now about doing the score on this. And I really want you to meet him. So I had to sell John on, you know, me doing the score. So it wasn't like, you know, I had to I had to sell myself to John. And fortunately, um, John is the biggest Shaft fan in the world, <laughs> and uh, so much so he remade the film. And uh, when John came to Memphis for the first time to meet with Craig and to kind of like start getting things ready for the film, um, I happened to have just gotten back in town from some keys dates on the east coast and i like landed at the airport uh you know we taxied in i turned on my phone and there was a message from craig saying hey man where are you john singleton john's in town i you know really you got to meet him man you got to you know you got to come and like bring your a game and like sell yourself you know <laughs> and so i you know, got home from the airport, you know, put my bag down, and John and Craig were at a recording studio in town called Cotton Row, and they were over there meeting with, like, DJ Paul and GCJ and Al Capone, and they were starting to, like, lay the groundwork for the songs that ended up being in the film. And I went over and met them, and I, uh, I t- at that time, I was doing a lot of work over at Royal, and I told John and... Craig, I'm like, yeah, I want you know, I want to take you guys by Royal Studio so you can meet Willie Mitchell, and uh, I ended up taking them, you know, by there. And on the way there, you know, John Singleton starts asking me about what I do and about my sound and what, how I envision the score for Hustle and Flow. And I tell him like, well, you know, I um, my concept for it is to make a score that sounds like the music that hip-hop guys would sample for their tracks and i was telling them i've got this group the bo keys skip pitts and willie hall who played on the original you know shaft soundtrack and truck turner and tough guys and all isaac scores they are in my group and uh marvell thomas uh who played on hot buttered soul and who was a session player at stacks he also plays with us and i would use him on keyboards and John got real excited about that, and I happened to have a CD in my pocket that the sound man had given me the night before we played this jazz club in Philly, and the sound guy had given me a board t- recording, and I, like, I just happened to have it in my pocket, and I put it in the CD player, and John Singleton heard us doing the theme from Shaft, he's like, <laughs> oh yeah, you guys would be the perfect band to do the score, I, you know, I, I feel like that was kind of like the moment I got the gig, you know? Um, like like a like so a that, delayed uh, live audition. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I got to give Craig a lot of credit for you know sticking by me and like sta- you know vouching for me when John got involved. And I haven't mentioned Stephanie Elaine, but she was uh, you know integral to that project. It would have never happened without Stephanie. And she saw the Poor and Hungry at the Hollywood Film Festival. And, and, you know, immediately was like, this guy is super talented. And so she'd been involved as well for like five years trying to get the film made. And uh, 
she had given John his break at Columbia uh, with Boys in the Hood. She'd been an executive there, and uh, she gave, like I said, she gave John his break, and so he kind of repaid the favor by uh, financing Hustle and Flow for her and Craig. Um, yeah, so that's sort of the that's the, that's kind of the short story on that. You know, we, I mean, I just never in a million years would have ever guessed or thought that that film would have ended up going to Sundance. And, and it was, I don't know, like literally overnight, like Craig's life changed, my life changed. It was, it was definitely one of those kind of, you know, it was, it was definitely a life changing moment. All right, y'all. you about was the uh the idea of working with actors who are not normally musicians who then yeah. record songs like because you that that's obviously something you did uh like twice with samuel l jackson uh both for black snake moan and soulman um like what's what's sort of the what's sort of the process of of uh like helping turn them into uh like blues or soul singers in, in this case well um man i i think that you just actors are they have a very very unique uh skill set and particularly samuel L. jackson he is a extremely he's one of he's one of the hardest working people that i've ever known or met or worked with. He's incredibly dedicated. And once he signs up to do something, he's, uh, he's very, uh, he gives it, you know, a thousand percent. So he, he worked really, really hard. Um, with black snake moan, it was just, he really, really immersed himself in that role and in that world. And he really spent a lot of time on that. And, uh, he spent a lot of time practicing the guitar. Um, by the time, it, by the time we shot those scenes, he was really to a point where he could have actually played those songs on camera. I mean, he, you know, you see him play, that's not actually him playing. That's, uh, you know, various guitar players recorded. There were pre-recorded tracks that were played on set, but he could have played them. He, he had it down that good, and uh, he really he really practiced a lot. He really put a lot of time into it, and uh, he it was it, it, it was just amazing. And he um, before one of the first things that he did was he came to Memphis, and Craig and Sam and I did a road trip through Mississippi and went and met with various blues artists, and he just like. He soaked it all up and uh, really 
put himself in that role and uh he just he he really worked on it a lot and um he took he's very good at taking direction and uh it was really cool to get to work with him uh i've always been a big fan of his work and uh now i'm a big fan of his work ethic so uh yeah that was a lot of fun and then solman um i actually uh i did produce some songs for solman and i'm i am actually in solman and with him on camera, but the songs that we're doing on camera and Solomon actually didn't produce those songs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but I did uh you know I did produce other songs in that film and I am in it. So uh but at, at that point I mean, we just worked together on Black Snake Moan, so us working together was pretty it was pretty seamless. It was pretty easy. Now, after doing all the all that on-camera stuff for Black Snake Moan, the Soul Men thing was like, I don't know. It was very natural for us. Okay, the thing I have to ask about, like, because, like, sort of your your first early, uh, like, major Hollywood, like, film music appearance was that Impala version of Experiment and Terror. I, ha- mm-hmm. I, I have to ask, like, Given given that track, do you prefer Experiment and Terror or do you prefer Experiment and Terror Twist? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I like both of them. I'd never heard the other version until you know a few years ago. Um, I don't know something about that. You know, at the time when Impala recorded the Experiment and Terror th- scene, the one that we did. That was around the same time as uh, Twin Peaks and David Lynch making a lot of films and Angelo Baldomini. And we were really into that that sound, that really creepy, minor key, after-hours sound. So the, the Experiment in Terror theme kind of fit that vibe and that feel more than the, the twist version. <laughs> <laughs> That's just... I. I... Like I just I, I I'm that's me being nerdy. Um, so, uh, what are you uh, working on now? Like I, you're you're such a busy person. Um, I, I I find it really difficult to like keep up with like all of the stuff you're doing. Well, I I, I like to stay busy. Um, probably, you know, mostly what I've been doing is. Uh, touring with Don Bryant and the Bo Keys. We, I don't know. It's just we did uh, an album on him that came out uh, last year called "Don't Give Up on Love," and uh, he just he's got a really strong following overseas. And with the release of that album, um, he's just gotten you know asked to do all these festivals and. And I'm getting getting to go places that I've always wanted to go, and get, getting to go back to places I really like to go to. So we've uh, so I've been working on the road a lot with Don Bryant, um, and we're working on a new album now. So that's that's probably going to be the next thing I worked on that comes out will be a a, a new Don Bryant album early next year, um, and then uh, you know Impala had a new album that came out. Um, called in the late hours and we have uh, 
you know, we're starting to book more and more shows and we want to get out and travel. And I've been, uh, that album came out on my label, Electrophonic, and, uh, I've just been working to try to get, get that record out and get it heard by people. So, uh, yeah, you know, touring with Don Bryant, the Bokeys and, uh, starting to tour more and work more with Impala. Those are the two, the two main things I've been working on. Um, just not a ton of composing work, but I do have a couple of irons in the fire there that I can't really mention right now, but, uh, hoping that, uh, next year there's a couple of projects that, uh, um, I do the score for. And, uh, have uh, a recording studio in Memphis that's also called Electrophonic Recording, same as my label, and uh, we stay pretty busy there. Um, sometimes I'm down there producing and engineering, and then uh, there's also a couple of other engineers who work out of there, um, so we stay pretty busy down there at the studio, too. It's been really nice talking to you. I really appreciate it because like I just finished earlier this week, uh, finally reading, um, uh, the, the Memphis rent rent party, the Robert Gordon book. And so it's, it's really cool to actually get to talk to somebody who's like working with, you know, artists who are, you know, contemporaries of so many of the musicians that like he, he mentions in there. So it's nice. It's nice to know that there's there it's, it's still, you know, Memphis is still like a a living music town and it's not like this, uh, museum piece that like some areas. I think it's more vibrant than it's really almost ever been in my lifetime. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of the last sort of affordable music cities <laughs> you can live in. Uh, you can afford to live in as an artist or musician. Um, more and more people from Austin are moving to Memphis. More and more people from Nashville are moving to Memphis. LA people from LA are starting to move here. New York. It's it's pretty exciting. Like it's becoming um, it's becoming a destination for people to move to who you know want to put down roots and maybe buy a house and do things that maybe in some other cities isn't really feasible these days as an artist so uh it's really like some exciting stuff's happening and you know all the recording studios here are really busy uh there's a lot of great acts here that are that are recording and touring these days so uh it's, it's an exciting time here well, awesome. Well, sir, again, thank you so much for giving up time out of your day to talk to me. This has been a real pleasure. You're quite welcome. Thank you. This here song from back in the day. 1962. My woman put my black ass out in the cold. I said, baby, why are you leaving? She said, I love Dungeon Cold. Well, I waited through water and I waited through mud till I come to this place they calls the Bucket of Blood.
Thanks to Scott Bomar for speaking with me. You can find information about his music on Facebook and Twitter at Electrophonic. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-A-P-H-O-N-I-C and at electrophonicrecording.com. You can find links to purchase all of the music that you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromaninspiredby.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at fromInspiredPod. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and Stitcher as well. Please hit up the website and click on the Give Us Money button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back next week running down the soundtrack offerings of Record Store Day Black Friday. Until then, thanks for listening. Down the club, nigga started gangsta walking and we tear the bitch up. We some straight 